Farmers are the heartbeat of rural America. Congress recently invested $20 billion in America's farmers and ranchers, focusing on conservation practices and profits for future generations. Today, these funds are at risk. You're squawking over $20 billion, that USDA program. It's investment into the future for everybody. If the funding was eliminated, it could hurt farms and families. Tell Congress, protect this generational investment in the Farm Bill. Learn more at investinourland.org. Paid for by Invest in Our Land. What happens when the highest priorities of American foreign policy collide with the most complicated politics of Washington, D.C.? Well, that's the story of the biggest legislative negotiation of the year, the $106 billion emergency supplemental bill. Back in October, Joe Biden was looking at a simple, seemingly clever deal. Tie aid to Ukraine and aid to Israel together. The Republicans who opposed aid to Ukraine all supported aid to Israel, so they would hold their noses and vote for the whole package. The Democrats, who opposed aid to Israel, all supported aid to Ukraine, so they would do the same. And as a side note, everyone seems okay with the third big chunk of foreign aid in the supplemental, money to advance U.S. interests in the Indo-Pacific. But then Senate Republicans, led by Mitch McConnell, countered Biden's opening move. They united around the idea of requiring changes to border security policy to unlock any of this foreign aid. So now, three of the most contentious issues in American politics are locked together in a kind of legislative Mexican standoff. And the man at the center of diffusing this situation is Senator James Lankford, a Baptist preacher from Oklahoma who is standing in front of me in his office, holding a bright gold baseball bat and making a joke about the mob. I'm Ryan Lizza, and this is Playbook Deep Dive. Langford's bat was actually a present from a visiting softball team, but you could understand why he might indulge in some mafia theatrics for a moment. He's the lead Republican negotiating a piece of legislation that gives every congressional faction a reason to hate it. Bernie Sanders is leading a revolt on the left to oppose aid to Israel. Lankford estimates there are about 10 Republicans who won't support aid to Ukraine no matter what. And then there's the border security compromise he's trying to reach with a group of Democrats led by Senator Chris Murphy of Connecticut. A group of Senate Democrats who are traditionally leaders on immigration reform have been vocally opposed to the direction of the Lankford-Murphy talks. A group of Senate Republicans are aligned with some of their House colleagues and say they might not support any border security changes short of the highly restrictionist legislation known as H.R. 2. At the end of a tumultuous week when it seemed reasonable to predict legislative failure, Lankford put down his bat and picked up a glass of iced skim milk, yes, iced skim milk, and led me through the reasons why he's far more optimistic than anyone else in Washington. In our conversation, he simultaneously scolded the press for declaring the talks dead, criticized House GOP leaders for demanding too much, and even had some positive things to say about Joe Biden's commitment to border enforcement. For all the doubters, including those who wonder how the fate of American foreign policy is suddenly in the hands of someone who has never negotiated a big bipartisan deal, he has a simple message. Failure is not an option. Let me ask you about the coalition you need to pass this in the Senate. Mm -hmm. You've used the number 20 Democrats. 
Democrats, they say, oh, well, you know, we've got 51 votes. We just need nine Republicans. Right. So a 60-vote bill that is 51 Democrats and nine Republicans Would never pass. is very, very different yeah. than a 60-vote bill that is 20 Democrats and 40 Republicans. Right. This so is going to end up being a 30 and 30. It just is. That's your target. No, it, 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 you, you, my, 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 my is. Target, my target is to get closer to 70 votes on this. I'm keenly aware of, of but, a all right, of but where those 70 votes come from. No, yeah. I, I, think, I think it's going to be equally divided. I really do. Yeah. Uh, we're we're going to have folks on my side that are going to say not enough. Right. No, no way. There, there, there is a few loopholes that are still left. This is not enough. We, we can't do it. Yeah. We're going to have folks on the other side that are going to say draconian, non-compassionate, everything else is going to come. Yeah. In addition to that, this is also attached to a bill that has Ukraine, Israel, and Indo-Pacific that are in it. So I've also got folks saying, I'll never vote for anything with Ukraine on it. I've also got folks on the left that are going to say, I'm never going to vote for anything with Israel that doesn't actually control the money for Israel. Bernie I'm Sanders, I think. Bernie Sanders has been very outspoken on that. Right. And there are others that are in that conversation. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm not just losing votes on immigration on this and right. how we're going to handle border security. I'm losing votes on some of the other issues as well. And so I, I think we're going to be closer to 35 and 35 or 30 and 30, as I like to say on this, where we're going to have to get to a point where an equal number that can look at it and say, I can live with that. Absolutely. That's solving and has the potential to solve what's actually happening at the border if applied correctly on that. But it also is going to deal with all the other issues. As well. right, but that's very different. If you're looking to attract 30 Democrats, that's a different bill than one that attracts 20 Democrats. Right. I've seen some of the stories and the thing when I've talked about, uh, I know I'm going to lose 10. That's where I am on the issue of Ukraine. I, I think there's 10 Republicans. It doesn't matter what I do. On Ukraine in the right, Senate. Right, on Ukraine, wow. period. And so people immediately took that as I was talking about border security. I wasn't. I was actually talking about Ukraine because I think there's a whole group of folks that really want tighter controls. It's not that they're pro-Putin. They're not pro-Putin by any means. They're not anti-Ukraine by any means. They just want to know where we're going, what we're trying to accomplish, what are the timelines on this, and or I should say or they want to do military supplies, but they don't want to be able to pay for their, their government functions and those things. They say Europe should pay for all that. We should take care of the military. Th those are just differences of opinion. Boy, on what the to be able the to more do. you talk about this, when you, when you talk about it, you're already losing people on Ukraine. You're already you're losing people on Israel. And then you've got the most complicated issue in Washington, immigration. This doesn't sound like very likely to come together. Yeah, it does. We'll solve it. We have to. So is, we just keep working until we actually solve it. Is failure an option? Is, fa is failure to pass aid to Ukraine and Israel and Indo-Pacific an option? No. It's not. I mean, again, these are incredibly important. We can have differences of agreement on how we do the funding for Ukraine, but allowing Putin to be able to roll over Europe, we've seen that movie in the 20th century twice. We know what that looks like. That doesn't end well for the modern world. It certainly doesn't end well for the United States not having our men and women actually engaged in combat. We want to avoid that, and the way to do that is to be able to end a war before it ever expands. Just, I mean, I know you care about that issue. Right. I know you care about that. From the Ukrainian perspective, you, you must know what it looks like to yeah. them. And I care about Israel and what's happening in Taiwan as well. All right. So from all of that global perspective, they're looking at this thinking, my Lord, this is tied up in the most difficult issue in American politics. Um, why are you guys, you Republicans who care about Putin not rolling through Ukraine and God knows what right. after that, why are you allowing this to be tied up in this fraught, difficult issue? Because we also see a huge national security issue here in the United States. 
And we have folks at home, Republican, Democrat, and Independent. It's not a partisan thing once you get out of Washington, D.C., that look at what's happening at the border and saying, we have how many millions of people crossing? Do we know who they are? Uh, we've got the mayor of New York City. We've got the mayor of Chicago. We've got people all over the country that are saying, make it stop. We can't manage all of this just for the economics and the humanitarian reasons. We've got drugs that are flowing in in mass numbers, and that's not every migrant carrying drugs. But the cartels are certainly using migrants to be able to distract the Border Patrol, flood an area, and then flood fentanyl and meth into our states. And we feel the effects of it. And people by the millions are saying, as you mentioned earlier, in almost every poll now, number one issue in the country is the economy. Number two issue is immigration and border security. People across the board see this as a major issue, and there's a perception that the administration's not done enough. Their statement is, we don't have the right tools in our toolbox. Our statement is, you don't need more money. You need more tools in the toolbox. Let's put them in there. This is one of the most complicated negotiations on some of the biggest issues of national security when you look at the the big picture here. You've never been involved in this kind of bipartisan deal-making, and I don't think ever very few senators have seen one to completion. Do you feel the sort of weight of what's going on in Israel, what's going on in Ukraine, the pressure from the right, especially on on the border? Do you feel that weight in terms of, wow, this is all on your shoulders to start to figure out? Yeah, well, I would say a couple of things on that. I've been very engaged in the issues for years now. I was in the House four years dealing with Homeland Security issues there. I've been on Homeland Security Committee uh, for the past nine years here in the Senate, been to the border a lot of times, asked lots of questions through three different administrations, developing relationships, what works, what doesn't work, tried to be able to listen. Been engaged in a lot of the negotiations, not as the point person, but been engaged in a lot of the negotiations in the past and been able to see what worked, what didn't work, what made the whole thing fall apart when you got too many things in it and it just collapsed. This has got a lot of things in it. Well, we're trying to limit the number of things in it, the things that are essential, and also knowing this is not done. We're going to have to keep working on these areas, but it's been 30 years since we've made progress in these areas. We've got to be able to take a pretty big step to say, okay, let's start sealing some of the issues here, and then we're going to have to come right back and start working on the next thing. But some of the things, if you start taking care of some of the big rocks, the smaller rocks get easier to say, okay, we can put that in an appropriation bill. We can put that in another bill. We, we can work on these things because some of the things just aren't partisan dealing with immigration and border security. But until you get some sort of control of what's happening at the border when it's this chaotic, you realize we're not going to do anything because the problem is so big. It feels like small things won't make progress when small things are important. It's the small things that have gathered up and made this mess. President Biden, he made some comments that I think you took as a positive sign, if I'm not mistaken. He said, one, that he's willing to make significant compromises. And two, he called you a decent guy. And the conversation that we just had and you drinking milk, you do, you know, you, 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 your aura is definitely decent guy. Um, so in all seriousness, how did you interpret these comments? I interpreted it as let's keep working until we get this done. That, that's really where I interpreted it. He knows where we are on it. He's saying, okay, you know where they are on it, where he is on it. Yeah. And let's keep figuring this out. I'm willing to make some compromises, basically saying, if you are as well, let's figure this out. Uh, to me, that's a positive statement to say, let's not walk away and to be able to do this. And by the way, I haven't walked away this whole time on it. Uh, that's another comment that I thought was funny the president made is that, you know, that Langford walked away on it. I was like, no, 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 no. I, I never walked away at any point on this. We consistently be able to work through exchanging paper and try to be able to figure it out. For him to be able to say that, I think is, if I can use his term, is significant. 
And for us, we've got to be able to figure out what we can actually swallow. We're not going to get everything in border security we want to be able to get. I understand that full well. We're not going to get HRT uh, that's coming out of the House. You've said uh, that repeatedly. I, I have, and I've tried to remind my House colleagues of that. They didn't get any Democrat support in the House. I'm not going to get 20 or 30 Democrats in the Senate to vote for what they couldn't get one on in the House. And certainly a Democrat president's not going to sign that. Uh, so this is Republicans in the Republican House and a minority in the Senate. And we don't have the White House to be able to negotiate an issue. But the, the fact remains, yesterday we had 9,975 people that crossed illegally on our border. The day before we had 12,080. Just in perspective, we had the highest September in the history of the country, the highest October in the history of the country, the highest November in the history of the country, then the highest single day in the history of the country just two days ago. This is accelerating at a rate that is absolutely unsustainable in a million different ways. We've got to be able to figure out how to be able to manage this where people that qualify for asylum get through and people that are just gaming the system have to do it the right way. What has been President Biden's role up until this point? So it's been his team that's obviously been engaged and initially- Who are you working with? Who's- Yeah, I'm not going into the names. They've been very careful in that. Uh, because Jake the, Sullivan, the, near the, Tandon? The, the White House has really been very focused on this is something that Senate uh, Republicans and Democrats have got to resolve. And they have for the longest said, you guys work this out. We'll give you some technical assistance when you have questions, but y'all have got to be able to work this out. From your perspective, is that a good thing? Well, at the end of any piece of legislation that's a big piece of legislation like this, at the end, the White House has to engage. Regardless right. of party, that's always going to be a given on it because all the parties are going to look and say, what's the president going to sign? Just like the president's going to say, what's the House going to pass? What's the Senate going to pass? So while the White House can say, you guys work this out and then let me know when you're close, yeah. they still are going to have a responsibility at the end, as everyone knows, in every piece of legislation. A lot of people think that the, politically, President Biden is highly incentivized to pass something on border security, given that poll after poll shows that's a serious vulnerability right. for him politically. Do you detect in your conversations that phenomenon, that dynamic that, all right, I think the White House really wants this deal, but it's liberals in the Senate that maybe are pushing him back. Do you detect any kind yeah, of daylight it's, there? It's really hard to get a feel. We, we really haven't had political conversations on it. We've had policy conversations. I'm sure there- Well, just on the policy. Sure. I mean, do, do, do you detect that the White House is willing to go further than some of the, the Democrats in the Senate? Yes, I do. Yeah. Uh, because I think they understand not only the politics of it, but there's a national security piece that's very significant. Uh, we've had a tremendous increase in the number of what the administration calls special interest migrants that have crossed the border. Yeah. These are individuals coming that they declare at the beginning- there's a national security problem with these individuals. They're releasing them into the country just like everybody else is being released. They're, they're not being detained or, or deported because of the way our immigration law is shaped. Those are just coming. And the administration sees it very, very clearly that we have tens of thousands of people that they have declared at the border. These are national security risk individuals coming across the border, and they're just here in the country. As that number exponentially grows... I think the White House sees more and more. There's a greater and greater national security threat inside of our country now based on what's happening at the border. This is not just people from Central America that are yeah. coming anymore. They're coming from all over the world. Well, I mean, hearing you say that, that sounds like a potentially pretty positive sign. I mean, you're saying like they understand this this, this problem. You know, sometimes in the uh, political conversation about this, it's all just bashing of the from the from the right. right. It's just bashing of the administration. They don't get the problem. They don't care. They want all, everyone uh, crossing the border. You're saying that you think they get the problem and that they want a deal. 
Well, I think they get the problem. It's a matter of are they willing to make the deal to stop it? Yeah. Because they've also got voices that are coming at them from different perspectives saying, no, leave it open. No. I mean, there's a legitimate caucus within the Democrats that really are open borders, that think borders are bad and that we need to allow as many people to come in and that people are fleeing poverty. They should come from anywhere in the world. There's also a legitimate group of Democrats that are saying, hey, I don't mind people coming from anywhere all over the world as long as they come in an orderly fashion and legally. When it's illegal activity and people that are gaming the asylum system, everyone knows that person's going to live underground and that has a whole different effect on our economy, their lives, their children. If we're going to do this, let's do it the right way. We've always been a country of immigration. Let's keep being a country of immigration. But for lawmakers to say the law is not important, I think is a fallacy of who we're supposed to be. Farmers are the heartbeat of rural America. Congress recently invested $20 billion in America's farmers and ranchers, focusing on conservation practices and profits for future generations. Today, these funds are at risk. You're squawking over $20 billion. That USDA program, it's investment into the future for everybody. If the funding was eliminated, it could hurt farms and families. Tell Congress, protect this generational investment in the Farm Bill. Learn more at investinourland.org. Paid for by Invest in Our Land. All right, let's talk about some of the complications on the other side. Speaker Mike Johnson, mm-hmm. um, it seemed that once he came to that Senate lunch, two things happened a week ago that seemed to really polarize the debate. One, some liberal groups and um, Democratic senators came out publicly and said, we do not like the direction of these talks. And on the other side, Speaker Mike Johnson came to the Senate lunch and said, we don't like the direction either. We want HR too, right? So you guys were sort of in a pincher. Tell me if I have that right. And then I want to talk about Speaker Johnson's role. No, you've got that right. I mean, there are people in the House that absolutely want what they pass. They work very hard on it. And it's a very comprehensive border security bill. And it covers all the bases. Completely agree. There are lots of loopholes that are being You would vote for HR too. I I would. But there are lots of issues that are in it that they address, small and large, to say this is the way to really tighten everything down. They're not wrong on that if you're really going to tighten everything down. The challenge that we have on the left is there are people that are saying, I don't want to tighten it all the way down. I, right. I don't want to actually do that. And so we're trying to figure out what authorities are needed for any administration, including this one, because I don't believe that there are people in DHS that actually want 12,000 people a day crossing the border in the chaos. They see the issue, that there are national security folks that are in the middle saying this is a threat, but they don't feel like they have the tools in their hand. Now, I disagree. I think they do have some tools they're not using. But we want to be able to make it really clear, here are the tools in your hand to be able to actually secure the border. Do you have a commitment from Speaker Johnson to put any Senate deal on the House floor? Oh, no. No, I do not. Um, and, and, and for good reason. <laughs> have you tried? Uh, yeah, for, for good reason. I mean, he's not sure what that deal would be on it. And if you're in the House, you know your real enemy is the Senate at any point, regardless of party. And so that's just a given on it. No, he hasn't made that deal, certainly. I don't think he would make that deal. I think he wouldn't he, give you that. That's no, not a commitment no, no, he can make. No, no, that's not a commitment he can make. No, I think he would make on it. I think he's looking for what are the key things. Okay, if we don't get HR two, there are basic things that have got to be in there that everybody sees on both sides. That's got to be there. All right. So, what has been agreed to before the talks broke down? So, uh, uh, air, yeah, I'm using the, air quotes the great, there. The great mythological breakdown. <laughs> was that just misreporting? Yeah, I, th- I think it was. It was overreporting, if I can yeah. say it that way. So, yeah. we didn't talk on Sunday. Okay, we didn't talk on Sunday. 
so that, that's not a breakdown of the talks. Uh, the administration last Friday uh, put a proposal and said, here's some technical things that we think would fix some of the things we're going to do. We spent Saturday and Sunday trying to be able to go now through that. the administration. That. Well, this is administration giving technical be- assistance. They're not, okay. they're not doing a proposal. Got it. We're putting a proposal to them. We asked them for some technical guidance. How Got would this it. work? What would this look like? And they're responding back to us on Friday to be able to get through all that. It takes us the weekend to be able to get through it. And we start talking again on Monday. But on Monday morning, the reporting is everything broke down over the weekend. And I just laughed and thought, no, we were still working through the weekend. We're still going through things, trying to be able to figure out the mechanics. As you know of anybody that's been around immigration law before, it's incredibly technical. Yeah, Uh, It's this patchwork quilt of different pieces that have been done over decades that any change you make in any place has a tremendous effect every direction. So anything that you do takes a lot of time and research to be able to go through it. So yes, we worked all the way through the weekend, but no, we weren't talking and negotiating all the way through the weekend because we're still working on this technical guidance. So tell me if this is wrong, but what I've reported and what others have reported at the three big issues are tightening asylum screening standard, the issue around designated safe third countries, and the issue of parole. Is that generally the universe of issues that are at the core of this? Yeah. It, it, in general sense, let me, let me rephrase it in a yeah. different way. It is right now when you cross the border with 12,000 people, thousands and thousands of those, the vast majority of them are released in the country of what's called a notice to appear. Right. They're told four or five, six years from now, if it's New York, it's nine years from now that you actually get a, then your screening. Well, you're in the country. Uh, for all of that time, depending on where you crossed, you may or may not have a work permit even, uh, that you're in the country for years uh, without a work permit waiting on your initial screening. So what if you just took the screening that happens years from now and actually pulled it at the border right. and said, let's do that screening right there. It's not a matter of changing the standard. It's changing the time because the, that screenings actually occurs. Because some of those screenings are already done for- Very few, about 500 a day. And that's for migrants who are um, being expelled. Right, but not necessarily. It, to, it, to find it, out it, if they qualify for right. asylum. If they qualify for asylum. Uh, let, me, let, me, let me throw another right. number. Everybody yeah. loves numbers, especially when you're listening. Yeah. Uh, it's hard to be able to follow. 21,000. 21,000 is the number of people that applied for asylum on our southern border in 2010. That's now every two days. Right. The reason for that shift is everyone knew decades ago, asylum is very hard to get. What's changed is not the asylum standard. The asylum is still very difficult to be able to get. You have to prove there's no safe place in my entire country I can go because the federal government in that country is after me. That's how you have to prove that you qualify. And you don't want, and and, and changing that standard is not on the table. Well, changing the screening and how we do right. the screening, the time of how we do the screening, all of those things. But are not important. the definition of what you qualify yeah, for asylum. Yeah, asylum is asylum. Okay. Yeah, that's what it is. So if you're dealing with just getting asylum and actually doing the screening earlier, yeah. you're letting people know that genuinely qualify for asylum, they're going to get through. And people that don't genuinely qualify apply for a legal process to be able to come because we know these thousands of people, now millions of people in the past years. Uh, are going to live underground, and that's not good for our economy. They're facilitating. We have people paying $50,000 to cartels to be able to move them across the border, depending on the country that they're from. Uh, so it, it's enormous numbers. Some people pay three or 4000 Some people are paying 50000 People that are paying $50,000 to a cartel have a reason they're trying to get into the country. I mean, we, yeah. we should just yeah. wake up and go, okay, hold on. 
why is the cartel making them pay that much to be able to move through? Who are they? What are they all about? No, 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 no. So those aren't asylum. Those are not likely to be the, the those are the, not the top likely qualifiers. To be asylum seekers, right? If you're an asylum seeker, you're going to come through in a very different way. So what I'm trying to say is, yeah. let, let, let's not just look the other way and pretend this is what it is. This is flood the zone. You don't have enough people to be able to actually screen for asylum, so we'll get into the country on our own. The parole piece is interesting because a lot of people throw. Well, this just at to, me. before we get to parole, though, right. on the screening issue. <laughs> Is the reporting right that you think there was a deal there on that, that that was one of the issues that had generally been resolved? This is the greatest Washington line. Nothing's done till everything's done. Right. I mean, you've heard right. it a million times on it. So every piece of this all connects to another one. So Fair. yes, there's been a lot of conversation. We started there because that's the essential. Yeah. But I would tell you, if you change the screening system and you even double the number of people that are doing screening, that changes what happens at the border by 5%. That's it. Yeah. And again, there's a lot of noise about it, but like that doesn't really make a significant change. The vast majority of people are still being released in the country. Okay. How do you move beyond 5% from your perspective and and these issues that get even more difficult? Okay. So let's go into technical fun. Can we do that? So there's two different types of parole. Uh, One type of parole that you get, uh, you wouldn't get a work permit. Another type of parole, you do get a work permit. It's 236 and 212 and no one cares on all those numbers. Anyway, so when you're going through parole, everybody would talk about parole. I've tried to stop it because I'm like, okay, this all gets confused with everybody trying to be able to work through it. I've made a simple statement. If 12,000 people crossed on Tuesday into our country, the vast majority of them were released into our country. However, they were released on that. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? I think it's a bad thing. The vast majority of people that I talk to think it's a bad thing that literally within hours, we don't know the criminal history on these individuals. Many show up without a passport or any ID. They just tell us their name and the country they're from. And we're trying to be able to process them. And I say, okay, we really don't know who they are and where they're from. I think that's a serious issue. So let's find a way to be able to manage that population. There's a million different ways to do it. Let's pick one. One of them is parole. One of them is parole and how you actually manage parole. But I, Just I'm, so I'm, I'm understand. We, we've got to figure out how to solve that. Parole, parole is a presidential authority. It is, but it's also being abused right now. It's actually in the courts right now. There's some litigation on it. Uh, the president, for instance, just declared, um, I'll take up to 30,000 Venezuelans that'll come in and I'll just declare it a humanitarian issue uh, to be able to allow them to be able to come in. When we talk about parole and what Republicans want in this negotiation, it's to um, restrict that authority to unilaterally declare classes of of migrants uh, paroled. Yeah, I, I think that's part of it. I think the other issue is, are we just going to mass release people to say, we don't have time for you, so just go in the interior of the country and wait it out on your own recognizance, live wherever you want, do whatever you want, have a work permit in the process on it that we don't know if you qualify for asylum. And just wander around. Now, it, it, by the way, if you pass the screening for asylum, you get a work permit now. I mean, that, that happens because you've been screened. It's likely you're going to get asylum. Right. The screening process is Correct. a determination that you're likely to. Correct. And so you get a work permit based on that. We're giving work permits to people just because they crossed over the border and say, we will screen you one day. Okay, that That's just a problem because you know what that does? It incentivizes more people to be able to come. Because that's an easy way to get a work permit. It's an easy way to be able to get a work permit. You just cross the border and you claim asylum and you get a work permit. And now you're in the country, though everyone knows you really don't qualify for asylum. And they never show up at their last hearing. The last hearings when it's determined you don't qualify for asylum, you get an order of removal and they're gone. Now they're living in the shadows on it. We've accelerated the issue by the millions of people. It's very different. When you talk about a refugee, for instance, refugees that are coming to the country, the Biden administration said a number of 125,000 refugees a year. And have said, that's the number that we think we can assimilate into our country. That's set by the Biden administration, 125,000 a year. Lay that 125,000 a year next to 2 million people 
that have come through and asked for asylum that have just been released in the country. And you see the disparity of what's actually going on. All right. So say you got to 50%. What does that look like? People who are are crossing over and are no longer uh, said, hey, come back in four, five, nine years. Where are they? Where Where are those migrants who are trying to cross under your vision of this? What's going to happen to them in the meantime? Well, that's what we're trying to negotiate right there. But so the Democrats will say, well, you just want thousands of these people in detention camps at the border. Yeah, we, we, we've had every variety. I, I, obviously, let, let, me give you, let me give you an example. Uh, October, we had 66,000 Venezuelans that came across the border, not legally, no, 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 just flooded the border on that. Halfway through October, the Biden administration said, Venezuelans are playing us right now. They started putting Venezuelans on planes and flying them back. Guess what happened the next week? Venezuelans stopped coming just immediately. That's this administration did that to say they, they understand the message gets out. If the borders open, you get flooded with people. We are the greatest country in the world. There are 5 billion people that would love to be a part of America. And we've been a nation of immigrants from the beginning. We, yeah. we, we want to be a nation of immigrants and to be open to that and should do that. But it can't be unchecked. It can't be total chaos. And right now it's just absolute total chaos. All right. One other issue that seems to be part of these negotiations that I want you to explain a little bit and sort of where the debate within the group of six, is it still six senators or is yeah, it coming? There, there's, there's a hundred of us total. So we'll, we'll, we'll have to, we'll have to please the whole group. Also, you guys yeah, don't- there, 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 there is a group that's working, but we try to be careful on all the voices because there's actually quite a few voices that are in and out on that. All right. You don't have a name. You don't have a catchy name yet. No, no, no names. No it's names. The, no, it's no, not no, the gang of six. No, no, no theme song, no walk-in <laughs> music, no anything, just us. What would your walk-in song be if you were the comfort? <laughs> I don't know. We're, we're, we're trying to finish something that hasn't been done in 30 years. So we'll have to pick a, a theme at some point. In a few weeks, which means yeah. this is kind of a crazy thing to, to get done in such a tight timeline. But designated safe third countries. Yeah. What can, what, how, um, one, that's part of the, these negotiations. And two, what's your vision of that? So again, let me set some context on it. Um, the Biden administration earlier this year put out a regulation they called uh, circumvention of lawful pathways. Circumvention uh, of lawful, lawful pathways. pathways. Okay. okay, That was their fancy name for their new policy. That was after all the authorities expired on Title 42. They put in a new regulation, say, here's how we're going to manage the border. In that regulation, the Biden administration put in place, they included safe third country. That if you're coming through another country where you could have applied for asylum, you should have applied for asylum there. They put that rule in. Is the key designating those or they're already pre-designated countries? Well, it's a matter of that evaluation from the asylum officer uh, as they go through the evaluation. Is that actually true or not true? On like that? Canada is a designated sure. safe well, third country. Can- Canada's a different duck on that. Okay, because we, have a, bi- we, have, like we, we have a bilateral agreement yeah. with them that if someone comes from Canada or comes from comes to the United States to Canada – we can say, hey, you could have achieved asylum there. We have a, a set bilateral agreement with them. You can't just swap back and, and forth. And same thing if they, they hit the United States and then they go to Canada, they had to That's apply correct. here. That's correct. Yeah. And so if someone comes all the way through from Argentina all the way through and they get to Canada and the Canadians are going to say, did you apply in the United States? No. If not, go right back to the United States and we've got them. So if you doesn't say in Mexico, for instance, does not have that designation. They do not. We do not have a bilateral agree, agreement like that with Mexico. Uh, but again, the Biden administration put out a safe third country rule to say if you're traveling through countries that are declared safe, this is an issue. The problem was they created so many exceptions in that rule that I basically see. everyone falls into the exception. Got and it. It's an area months ago. Now, now, for a long time, when these negotiations started, the White House wouldn't talk to us at all, wouldn't give us technical assistance, wouldn't anything like, nope, you guys work it out. And eventually we came back to them and said, we've at least got to get TA from you. We, we've at least got to get some kind of insight to be able to know what, what's working right. and what's not working on this. 
And so they've agreed to go that far in the process. Uh, but for the uh, majority of the time, I've worked with DHS. I'm on that committee on Homeland Security. It's not like we're new to these issues. Right. Um, the administration, months and months ago, asked them, okay, why didn't your rule work? And the two things they said, they said, we really thought that rule would work, except we left too many exceptions and the consequences were delayed. Huh, they, they admitted that. Sure. Yeah. If the consequences are delayed and you've got so many exceptions on it, everybody fits into the loophole and it actually doesn't work. So the safe third country is not a radical concept on it. It's trying to be able to figure out how to do it. Now, again, there's lots of ways to be able to handle this because the asylum rules law currently of what qualifies for asylum is pretty strict on it. It's just a matter of when you actually do that screening and how you do that. Screening. So what's the friction over this issue? Why, why, why do um, Democrats and a- activists on the left, uh, they're highly agitated and concerned about this issue? Okay. I mean, they'll, they'll t- tell me, oh, what Lankford wants is he wants to, you know, Lankford and the Republicans, they want Mexico to be the designated third country so nobody can ever get into the U.S. because yeah. they're all coming through Mexico. It, it, it's actually more political than that. Uh, shocking <laughs> around this place. It is, if it sounds anything like what President Trump ever did, it's evil. I mean, that's really what it is, is that, you know what, Trump did that. And so it's terrible. We're not going to do that. And I say to them, President Biden has done that as well. This is this is something that everybody looks at and says, this is an issue and this is a clarifying force. I will have Democrats that will come to me and say, we have thousands of people coming from Uzbekistan with 45,000 people from India last year. Okay, how many flights did they have to take through how many safe countries to be able to get to Mexico to then pay a cartel to cross the border to be able to come in and then declare, I want asylum here? That's not asylum. That's trying to be able to circumvent all of our legal pathways on that. That's what that really is. Everyone knows it. The question is, how do you actually manage that? If you're in Europe, they they don't have what they call safe third country. They have what they call safe countries of origin, where in Europe, they'll designate, here's all these countries that we consider safe. You can't apply for asylum from here if you're from any of these countries or went through these countries. So the, 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 the challenge is, is that this is done by people all over the world and countries all over the world, but the United States has been slow to respond to it. And we're receiving all these folks from all over the world because we've not updated our laws. Senator Lankford, thank you very much for your time. It was a great conversation. I really appreciate it. I'm glad to visit with you. And that's our show. Our producer is Kara Tabor. Our senior producer is Alex Keeney. I'm Ryan Lizza, host and executive producer of Deep Dive. Our music is by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. Tell us what you think about the show and who you'd like to hear on Deep Dive. Email me at rlizza at politico.com. And please subscribe to Playbook Deep Dive wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.